All right. Hey, folks. So I wanted to get on today and discuss another topic with you lovely people. And this is going to be one about nutrition. And we're going to be discussing meal frequency. Okay. Meal frequency, nutrient timing, all those kinds of things. And as a result of some recent experimentations I've been doing with, uh, with the diet that I'm on. So I've currently been cutting for about three weeks, going very well. I'm quite a few kilos down. Let's just take a quick look. Yeah, about three and a half-ish, three kilos down. So pretty good, about a kilo per week. Now, <coughs> I wanted to talk about one thing in particular about the diet, which has been really interesting, and that is the meal frequency. Now, before I talk about what I've been doing, I'm going to just tell you a bit about what the data shows, okay? So <laughs> the data on meal frequency is fairly equivocal, <coughs> excuse me, which means, sorry about that, which means that there's no real clear answer on what's better or what's worse. It seems to be a case of meh, like whatever, do what you like kind of thing. As long as protein is equated, protein being a much stronger lever, uh, or overall calories are equated, calories also being a very strong lever, it doesn't seem to appear from the research that on average, the meal frequency matters that much. So there are some studies which show um, higher frequencies having a slight benefit, some which show lower having a slight benefit. So the data is fairly equivocal in that. So it really points to, I think, and also I think this is a point where we need to to discuss what exactly does that show us. Now, the commonly held belief seems to be, like in evidence-based circles, that means it doesn't matter, right? That seems to be what people are saying. Like that is, okay, if the data isn't giving us a clear direction, then what that means is it doesn't matter. But I don't think that's true. And we had the same thing with, um, we had the same thing with, um, what's it, um, training frequency recently as well. The data seems to suggest, at least for a while, it didn't matter. So, you know, bro splits were back on the table kind of thing. But I don't think that's actually true. Like, it's, it's not that the data is showing it doesn't matter. It's showing that there's a spread of preferences. Because there are things which aren't tested or can't be tested. And as the old phrase goes, um, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Essentially what that means is, if we haven't tested for those untangible factors, which mean that you might like a low meal frequency, I might like a high meal frequency or whatever, then we can't just say nothing matters. That's quite a dangerous viewpoint. I think it puts people on the wrong track. The data on meal frequency definitely doesn't say it doesn't matter within the broad context, you know, two to four meals a day, whatever. What it says is actually, it varies. It varies. So it's, we're better off with that type of result to find what works for us. That's what it's actually saying. It's not saying it doesn't matter. It's saying that we need to find what works for us. And that's a very subtle but important difference, yeah? Because we're definitely not saying, look, just do what you like. There is, there is definitely a preference 
for the individual. What the data is saying is you must find that preference. So I think the issue is when you have a lot of evidence-based people where they normally give out this type of advice, just the same as the training frequency advice, they come to that conclusion. And because they're talking to a wide range of people, they say things like, it doesn't matter. Again, which is not accurate for the reasons I've described, because, well, standard deviations exist, <laughs> basically. Uh, and all, all they're, they're just pointing to the average, which is that it doesn't matter. But the reality is there's a spread of preferences. So it does matter, but it matters to the individual. It doesn't matter in the level of detail that the study can show for. It matters for the individual. So the correct interpretation is you need to find what works for you. It does matter because there is a spread of adherences, there is a spread of results. You need to figure out what works best for you. So I don't want you to be put off by the evidence-based boys who've got a bias. If you've got a guy who's naturally lean and saying it doesn't matter, well, maybe it doesn't matter for him. There are people, I mean, I coach them where they forget to eat. They, they, you know, they can get really lean. I mean, one of my clients walks around probably two weeks away from stage shape year round just because he forgets to eat. Um, it's insane. Like, you know, I hate him. <laughs> but but um, yeah, so there are people out there like that. So if you have them interpreting the research, maybe they will be biased and say, actually, it doesn't matter. The reality is it does matter. And they're only saying it doesn't matter because they're looking at the spread of data when, in fact, it does for the individual. So with all that said, with that sort of long five-minute preamble, I want to just talk about what I've been doing before we, you know, get into the, get into the meat and potatoes of it. <clears throat> so I've been experimenting over the last three weeks with a much higher meal frequency than I normally would have, much higher, in the region of six meals a day, which is... I don't think I've ever done that, ever. So I'm basically eating from morning till night and fairly evenly spaced meals. So it's not like I'm having, you know, small meals here and large meals there. They're all pretty evenly spaced out. They're between four to 500 calories each, including a pre-workout, okay? uh, sorry, a intra-workout drink. So I'm basically eating throughout the day. Now, as well as eating throughout the day, I am losing weight. So I'm eating lots of food and I'm dropping weight fairly fast. So that gives you an indication of how large the deficit is. The deficit is big. There's nothing in the higher frequency of meals that's causing me to lose weight faster. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I'm eating a low enough amount of calories for me to lose weight fast. However, I'm doing that within a higher frequency. So very important to clarify what I'm saying because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I'm not saying a high level of frequency of meals stokes the metabolic fire or anything, any nonsense like that. We know that's not true. Clearly that's not true. What I am saying is with a higher frequency of meals, I'm doing that despite being in a very, very large deficit. And despite being in a very large deficit, I am actually very hungry. Uh, sorry, I'm very stuffed. I'm not hungry. In fact, I'm so not hungry, I'm occasionally missing meals. Like yesterday I missed a meal. Because I just couldn't stomach it. And I thought, well, what is better for me at this point? Should I force myself to have this meal or should I just go with it since I'm on a diet anyway? So I went with it. I didn't have the meal. I've probably missed about three meals over the course of the last three weeks. 
which is very unusual for me on a diet. As soon as I'm on a diet, I'm pretty much, and I'm counting calories, I'm pretty much, you know, pretty much every meal is accounted for. Like, I don't think there's many people out there where when they're on a diet, they're accidentally missing meals saying, oh, I'm too full. So this is very unusual for me. And I wanted to point out, despite a fast rate of weight loss, I still have such little hunger that I ca I'm actually occasionally missing out on meals because I just can't eat them. I'd rather not. And I figure, why not? Let's just take advantage of it. Now, for somebody like me who has a naturally high appetite, that's huge. That is insane. For some of you who are listening, you might think, oh, that's no big deal because you probably skip meals as well. Um, and you know, you're like, yeah, whatever. I do that all the time. Sure, maybe that's cool for you. Maybe that's your bag. But try to understand, from my perspective, I never miss meals. <laughs> Accidentally. I never miss meals because I'm not hungry enough. I can pretty much always eat. I have this weird genetic peculiarity that I can't eat a massive amount in any one sitting, but I can eat and eat and eat the next two hours, the next two hours, the next two hours, you know. So for me, this is a big deal. Like For me, this is revolutionary. So let me explain what I'm doing. So I'm eating five meals a day plus an intra-workout drink. That's the main thing. And also, I'm eating quite high protein, which is another factor which I think is connected to this. So it's a very bro-ish diet. If you can imagine five meals a day with roughly 50 grams of protein in every meal and about 20 grams or 10 grams of protein in an intra-workout. So I end up having about 270 grams of protein per meal. Sorry, uh, per uh, day, not per meal. <laughs> That'll be ridiculous. I'll be there all day. So 270 grams of protein per day for a guy who weighs roughly, I think I'm about 185 right now. This is a hell of a lot. So that's a, a lot of protein. That is pretty much, yeah, it's almost exactly my body weight, my total body weight times by 1.5. So clearly a lot of protein. However, I don't think that's benefiting me in, in, in any way other than me being very, very satiated, very full all the time. So that's quite interesting. So two things are happening. One is the higher meal frequency and two is the much higher protein intake seem to be having the net effect. Now we can argue back and forth about which one has the greater effect. You might say to me, it's not the frequency of meals. Maybe it's the higher protein. I would accept that. Maybe it is. And perhaps if I had the equivalent amount of protein in less meals, maybe it would work just as well. Maybe. But what I'm finding is the amount of protein I'm eating, it's a lot to chug through because I don't really utilize protein shakes at all. So this is whole food five times a day. So five times a day, it's it's chicken, it's um, Greek yogurts, you know, it's stuff like that. So it's a lot to chug through and it's very frequent. So sure, I can manage 150 grams of cooked chicken per meal. doesn't sound like much, but you try having that five times a day or four times a day, it soon adds up and it gets tiring consuming that much food. And it, like I said, it's getting to the point where even on a diet with a very robust calorie deficit, I'm actually far too full. And that is a very unusual position for me to be in. And that's what this podcast is all about. I I don't, I didn't expect this. That I'm, I'm truly surprised that the sheer difference this is having for me. I am truly, truly shocked 
at being in a, such a hard deficit that I'm losing a kilo per week. And I'm so not hungry. I am shocked. So the second thing is the high protein. And that's another thing which I think is having an effect. I think it's having a major effect. And um, I'll say what I think it's not. I don't think it's a thermic effect of protein. I got into this argument with somebody last week. And uh, actually, I'll, I'll say this on the podcast. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of people aren't aware. But the thermic effect of protein is already is is already calculated in to the four calories per gram. I think the fitness industry still seems to think protein is only worth 3.2 calories per gram but it's not like protein is worth four calories per gram. I think even I've been guilty of propagating that myth in the past, but it's not true. The actual caloric value of protein per gram in a lab is 5.65 calories. So once it goes through the digestion process, it ends up with four. The caloric value of carbs is 4.2 per gram, and it, so it ends up with four, okay? So yeah, um, it, after we digest it, we get the four calories per gram. There is no further reduction. It's very commonly misunderstood. So I don't think it's a thermic effect of food. It's definitely not that. Okay. So what is it? it? I think it's really just a society. So we have a situation where I have this prescription for a guy who's naturally on the heavier side, who's also naturally got a higher appetite. All of a sudden, I'm feeding him, me, me five times a day as much as six on workout days with a drink. And we're getting 50 grams of protein of actual food protein per meal. And I'm just stuffed. I'm at the point where I just can't, I have to just say no to meals. Like, I'm sorry. That is pretty amazing. But that is currently, <laughs> I wouldn't have expected to be sat in this situation. But that is currently where we're at. And that's pretty crazy. On that note, I'm just going to pause here and say, remind you guys that I do offer online coaching, fat loss, if this is something you're interested in. And uh, feel free to check me out at fazifs.com or there's a sign-up form on Instagram as well on my profile. Go ahead and check it out. Get in touch and let's see how we can work together and how I can help you. So anyway, back to it. So those are two major things that I'm doing. Now, in terms of how I'm creating the deficit, here's another interesting thing. So I'm varying the carbs quite heavily. Some carbs, some meals will have carbs, some meals won't. Breakfast for me typically does have carbs. And I, I train, I'm currently training later in the day about just after six, okay? So breakfast will have carbs in it. My 12 o'clock meal will have no carbs. My three o'clock meal will also have no carbs. My six o'clock meal, which is a pre-workout meal, will have carbs. And my post-workout meal will have carbs. Typically, the carbs are rice or potatoes. When I don't have carbs, I really, well, I should really be more accurate about that. I don't have starchy carbs, so I will have veg. So meals two and three will include one or 200 grams of vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, clearly some carbs in there, but not a massive amount. And meal one will include some blueberries. That's about it. And a little bit from the Greek yogurt, but in general, fairly low on the carbs outside of very fibrous vegetables. Meals four and five will include probably about about 80 grams of carbs each. So it's about 160 grams. Overall, my macros for the day are about 270 on the protein, 220 on the carbs, and about 60 on the fats. The fats I get from mostly from walnuts and the fat in the meat. 
So walnuts I will have with every meal except for the pre-workout and the post-workout. So anyway, what is the overall effect of this? The overall effect is that I'm only really having carbs in breakfast and also pre and post-workout. So basically where I need them. And also with my intra-workout drink. Every other meal, which is two other meals a day, they're on zero carbs. And that's working really well, really, really well. I'm able to pull the calories down a lot harder than otherwise. Now, the next thing is the fats. The fats follow suit, actually. Wherever you see carbs, as in starchy carbs, there is no fat. So pre- and post-workout meals, no walnuts. Every other meal, walnuts. There we go. Uh, so yeah, typically I'm, I'm adding in healthy fats. So that is kind of how I'm structuring things. It seems to be working pretty well, pretty well. So I thought I would do a quick podcast about that and I'm just finding it very interesting. I love it when my experience doesn't match the interpretation of the research. I'm not going to say the research because it's, the research is what it is. The data are what the data are. But it's the, it's the common interpretation of the research which I find to be fascinating um, because I mean it's the same people that I said when training frequency stuff came out or training volume stuff came out just do more or whatever but um, there's definitely a preference for the individual and I think rather than go with the blanket it doesn't matter I think we should encourage people to find what works for them and that's really what coaching is about it's, it's exploring options and finding what works it's actually one of the reasons why I generally don't use much in the way of evidence-based approaches anymore because they tend to lean too heavily on science. And I know the researchers don't say that. The researchers themselves always point out you should find what works for you. Brad Schoenfeld is very big on that. Um, but it's the way it's interpreted. That's why I, I say I like, I like it when my experience doesn't match how the data is commonly interpreted because then it shows the interpretation isn't, wasn't very good in the first place. And I think the interpretation of meal frequency, which is that it doesn't matter is highly flawed. And that's what I find so interesting, which is why I wanted to talk about it. But anyway, that is a quick update on me. I feel pretty locked into my diet. Um, I'm feeling very good about it. And that's currently what I'm doing. So uh, I will update you. I'm not gonna do a weekly update like I did last year. Um, and also this diet's a little bit little bit slower as well. It's not quite as drastic as the, as the last one I did. So I'll update you every now and again. Um, but at the moment, it's going very well. So hopefully, though, that was quite interesting about the meal frequency. And it maybe should encourage you to experiment a little bit on your own diet and figure out kind of um, what works for you. All right, folks. Take care.